This is case 32 from the Denkoroku, Dao Jin. The case. Dao Jin said to Zen Master Seng Tsang, I beg your compassion, please give me a way of liberation. Seng Tsang said, Who is binding you? Dao Jin replied, No one is binding me. Then Seng Tsang said, then why seek liberation? Kazan's commentary. Dao Jin followed the path of emptiness since his childhood, just as though he had studied it in former lifetime. He practiced the way with a single-minded determination, never turning back. In the very beginning, he declared the way of liberation and he also opened the gate of liberation when he was about to die, to let people know that life and death do not bind us. He really was an extraordinary person, the kind met once in a thousand years. Kazan's verse. When mind is empty, pure knowledge has no wrong or right. Here, I don't know what is there to bound or to free? Even if you distinguish the elements of body and mind, seeing, hearing, sound and form are ultimately not another. So I welcome some new friends, new faces. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. One of the beautiful things about our practice is that we get to know people from all walks of life. And we get to know each other very intimately, even without knowing the name, occupation, family connections, or where we're from. It cuts right through all that stuff and we get to share with each other kokoro, the heart mind, our center. We don't waste time. No niceties. Here I am. Here you are. And all there is is love. It'd be great to bring some of that to our society to bring it out of the zendo share that energy needs it i want to be free who binds you no one binds me buddhism is known as the path of liberation and the buddha dharma is considered the ferry boat that transports beings across the river of samsara, the river of suffering, from the shore of delusion to the shore of enlightenment or nirvana. And while this textbook description is in essence very true, whether or not we actually experience liberation boils down to how we understand what these words are pointing at. Not how do we understand the words, we get it. But what are these words about? Where are they felt? People become interested in, in the practice for different reasons that pertain to their specific personal circumstances. Yet I think we can agree that essentially we all set foot on the path because at some point of our lives, we realize that the conventional way of thinking and functioning creates a sense of alienation, sense of restlessness, discontentment, does not lead to a long-lasting sense of ease or peaceful state of being. And of course, it causes unnecessary harm and suffering. And since we all feel entangled and held back by the way we have been living, we turn to the practice to disentangle, to find a better way to live and experience liberation from what seems to be oppressive 
and hindering. Life, that is. The desire to find freedom from what seems to be oppressive and a source of suffering is, of course, understandable. But if we don't take the time to examine what validates the hindrances and what solidifies the one who is hindered, we remain vested in the assumption that we are not free. And then, of course, devote our efforts to seeking for liberation by turning away from life's challenges and hardships. Enjoy. In other words, as long as we believe that life is what's holding us back, we foster the idea that liberation cannot be found here. At least not the way it's looking right now. And it cannot be experienced now. It's a simple and logical conclusion that is resting on no more than a mental construct created in the mind in relation to experiences. To the thinking mind that functions in a binary and dualistic way, a spiritual practice is perceived as a journey from point A, which we may call delusion, to point B, which we may call enlightenment. Very much like crossing the GW Bridge from New Jersey to New York, standing on the one bank of the Hudson River, thinking, as long as I'm here, I am not on the other side. How can I be on the other side? As long as I'm deluded, I am not enlightened. And once I'm enlightened, I'm no longer deluded. And this dualistic thinking, of course, is common, yet it is also the source of suffering and it creates further suffering. In the commentary on the Genjo Koan, Okumula writes, the common understanding of Buddha's teaching is that since ignorance turns our lives, the lives of deluded beings into suffering, we should eliminate our ignorance so we, should, we can reach nirvana. If we simply accept that teach that teaching and devote our lives to the practice of eliminating our ignorance and egocentric desires, we will find that it is impossible to do. Not, in, not only it's impossible to do, but it actually creates another cycle of samsara. This happens because the desire to become free from delusion or egocentricity is one of the causes of our delusion and egocentricity. And the idea that there is nirvana or samsara existing separately from each other is a basic dualistic illusion. The desire to escape from this side of existence and enter another side is another expression of our egocentric desires. When we truly when we are truly in nirvana, we awaken to the fact that nirvana and samsara are not two separate things. So, it's very true. It's just that even when we hear it, even when we read it, it takes a long time to actually understand or embrace what it really means. Because we may think to ourselves, yeah, that's true, well, maybe this guy didn't get there, but I can. I can find my way from this to that. And then once I get there, all the other stuff will not be there. Or I will not be bothered anymore. That's what takes time to dissolve to let go of. Because this is hard for us to digest and it, without consistent practice, it keeps coming back. The notion that there is another version will not go away. This is why, ultimately, each one of us needs to arrive at that conclusion through our own practice, through our own discipline, through our own efforts.
not buy it because we heard it or because we read it. Because ultimately the journey is from here to here. Now what kind of a journey is that? Or what does it involve? So in today's koan, we keep going in the, we started with Bodhidharma and we keep going in that direction, one successor after another. In this koan, we meet Dao Jin. And this is about the first meeting between Seng San, who was the third patriarch, and Dao Jin, who later became the fourth patriarch, succeeded to, to the third patriarch, to Seng San. So Dao Jin came to see Seng San and said, I beg your compassion. Please give me a way of liberation. This is where we, we begin. This is where we're at. This is what brings us to practice. And Zeng San said, who is binding you? It's easy to answer this question. We think it's easy to answer this question because we think that we have the answers to those questions, to such questions. But this is what we have to put aside. Yes, I know that I think I know. Am I willing to put aside what I think I know to be true and examine further? Who is binding you? Daoxin says, no one is binding me. Now, we don't know if he said it right away or if he took some time, went back, or if he arrived at it and still wasn't able, arrived at it before the meeting, and still wasn't able to let go of searching for liberation. Maybe it's a habit, searching for liberation. So no one is binding me. And Seng San says, then why seek liberation? Why waste so much effort? Why go from here to there? Why have these libraries after libraries of books? Read this, then read that, then hear this teisho, then that teisho. Go from this sangha to that sangha, from this path to that path. One tradition, another. What is fueling it, we have to ask. And when we, when we see this encounter, we can clearly see the similarities between the dialogue of this dialogue and the last two dialogues we, that were brought up in the last couple of Teishos. The first one, Huike asked Bodhidharma to pacify his mind. My mind is not at peace. Please put it to rest for me. Then Seng San asked Huike to absolve him of his sin so he can be free of his illness. Assumption after assumption. And now we see Dao Jin asking to be liberated. And the three of them came in with a strong notion of being stuck. And the assumption that what is causing the stuckness is a barrier that needs to be removed by someone else. But instead of removing or eradicating anything, they were instructed to personally investigate the matter and expose the truth about their barriers. And this is the task of a practitioner. This is what we're doing. Examining, looking, investigating. Not just on the cushion. All the time. Seeing the automatic mechanisms again and again. The automatic mechanism of our reactivities. Exposing it. And asking why. What's going on here? What is it serving? Who am I serving? 
Who am I at the service of? So when asked what is binding us, we quickly turn to our personal circumstances, of course, situational descriptions, everyday affairs, other people, fluctuations in a sense of self-worth. I'm good, I'm not good, I've arrived, I've succeeded, I've failed. Events in the past, or anything else that we have concluded to be the source of our stuckness or entanglement. Maybe we think it's past lives, if we buy past lives. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because what we're saying is that now I am not free because of something or someone. And as long as we hold on, so I, I, I hold on to such a conclusion, I am stating to myself and to the world that I am at the grip of a thought an emotion, another person, a situation, and until that dissolves or changes, I am unable to experience a sense of freedom. Until these kind of nagging thoughts are gone, or those nagging people, or until these people stop doing what they're doing or start doing something else, how can I be free? How can I be free? So a question here would be, watch for the nose pin. You know the nose pin, right? On the ox. Watch for the nose pin. What have you given yourself to? In such statements, whether we express them verbally or just let them occupy our thoughts, are the cement that binds the bricks of our mental construct. That's the glue that keeps it together. We can't say it's just a thought because it doesn't work. The statement doesn't work. Because thoughts are very powerful. Right? They, they come and go, yet when they come, we are turned upside down. And then they, when they go, we are left to pick up the pieces. Thoughts, words, all of it is propelled by notions, by what we trust, by what we believe. The Saint San wrote in the Shinjin Mei, the more you talk and think, the more you go astray. The more we talk, the more we think, the more we distract ourselves. Or maybe we're free. How's that for a notion? Yet, because we distract ourselves, we can't experience it. Maybe we have arrived, but we're too busy thinking and talking. And it's hard to see and admit that, but the thought, the thought of a barrier or a barrier creates a thought. Right, so a thought itself is the source of the barrier and the barrier is nothing but a thought. Can I accept that? That what I perceive to be a barrier is essentially propelled by and fortified by thoughts. Is it possible that the notion of being stuck is creating the one who is stuck? Buddhist teachings teach us that in reality, being liberated is our natural state of being. 
being liberated is inherent. Or we can say that being and liberation are essentially non-dual. This is how liberation is being expressed in this case, in this body, in this form. And it is within the realm of liberation that we form complications and then work very hard to disentangle ourselves. Within freedom, we feel trapped and get very busy trying to get untrapped. And this may seem difficult to realize and it, it often feels out of reach, but it is only so because we are grasping the form which is confined to birth and death. It is subjected to birth and death. Now, is it true that because it's subjected to birth and death, it is trapped? Because that's the notion. We can't say it's not true that the form is dissolving, but is that the source of our trappedness is the question. How do we realize and express that which is unborn and undying? Or is there such an expression? How do we give voice to the unborn and undying within that which is, which is born and will die? Now, today, within this body, dealing with these circumstances, what is the unborn? Banki, a 17th century Japanese Zen master, focused his entire teachings around realizing the unborn. And he said, instead of struggling to do or become something, one needs to cease struggling entirely. If one is truly natural and innocently spontaneous, the unborn will appear. That's why we say it's hidden in plain sight. The key to realizing or realization is not some method or practice, however helpful this may be. But it is letting go of everything which is not the unborn. And this involves no special method as typically understood. It does, however, involve the total openness of one who has no presumed goal, no intention, no desire, no wish. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? No presumed goal. That is total radical complete acceptance of this now. No intention. So where is deliberate intention that we speak of? What is the deliberate intention about? Can it be about this? Can I deliberately be or raise intention to be here fully, to appreciate and accept this fully, to let go of a desire to be somewhere else or be someone else? Let go of wishing Let go of wishing the world would start acting in a sane way. It almost makes so, no sense. It almost makes no sense to say that and then say we are practicing Buddhism. But that's what we're talking about. Otherwise, we become vested in something else and then other people get in the way. What do we do with them? They become the obstacle. Well, they become the obstacle for us. We become the obstacle for them. A recipe for suffering. Struggling to become someone or arrive somewhere else is what we call 
in Zen, putting a head on a head, or mounting a donkey to go look for a donkey. Turning away from the essential leaves us with a sense of alienation, which becomes the source of grasping the form and our dredging its disintegration. Since the nature of form is to dissolve, then grasping it will naturally, inevitably, lead to anguish, despair, and a sense of being trapped. We can't go against it. Well, we don't need to go against it. It's not just we're not good at it. We don't need to. <clears throat> to turn to the essential is to open up to the timelessness and the continuity which manifests through all our expressions of this form we happen to occupy, that which we grasp. That one is expressing what is unborn and undying, while it is born and dying. And that's not contradicting. Only to the mind that resides in duality, this doesn't make sense. And, and that's okay too because it doesn't have to make sense to that mind. We have to know that it doesn't make sense. And we have to be okay with going beyond what's logical. And when this is realized, we lose the need to make a point, to be defensive to be heard by others and complaining, judging, comparing all of those common states of being lose their importance. Then it's not complicated to act in ways that are natural, compassionate, humble and in accordance with what is. And everything is experienced as expressions of spontaneous unborn way of being, as Bankei refers to. And then being genuine is nothing special. Well, we don't even know that we are genuine when we act from there. Because what else is there? You don't see animals stop and think to themselves, is this, is this, am I good? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a bird, as a cat, as a dog? There's no gap. <coughs> we create the one who's trapped and then we seek to liberate it. And all the while, we are nothing but an expression of spaciousness and eternity. So within that spaciousness, we create an, an illusion, idea of being trapped. And then, of course, how do I get untrapped? So who binds you? Daojin Dao says, no one is binding me. Then why are you seeking liberation? Well, isn't that freedom? Isn't letting go of, this, of the notion of being trapped. Freedom. And when and where will I let go of the notion of being trapped? The gateway to experiencing this inherent sense of freedom is our awareness. It comes down to how aware we are. So we need to become the master of our awareness. That means to observe it on a moment-by-moment -moment basis and become aware of how our attention drifts to thoughts, to emotions, to trivial matters that come and go. We make such a big deal out of it and then it's gone. And to the way the stories that perpetuate in the mind keep perpetuating themselves.
how much energy that takes. So it's not that we need to stop or reject any of it. Well, we can't. All we need to do is become aware of what happens and then expand our awareness level to be as spacious and as all-inclusive as we possibly can right now. Only now, only today. How spacious and expansive can I be? How more can I contain? How large can I realize I, that I am right now? And while the story, the thoughts, the emotions may very well be stuck, the awareness itself is always spacious and liberated. So what we're saying is, what, what the teachings are saying is that, that there is something there that is always free and liberated while there are passing thoughts, emotions, stories that become that mud, that glue, that creates the illusion of being stuck. Now when the attention goes there, I'm stuck. And I'm going to declare being stuck. And I'm going to point at what or where is the problem. So we have to experience the entire body, everything, not parts of it. A few days ago I was in class, taking class, and I was practicing with a friend of mine. And we did a technique that the neck is trapped. So the, my arm was around his neck, big guy, but I, tr I brought him down. He was standing and taking a back stretch. And he's, he was pushing against it, which actually, when you push against, you, you're more trapped because you push against what is above. You push against what doesn't move. So obviously it doesn't lead to any sense of expansion or freedom. So he asked me what he should do, and I said, well, bring your attention to your legs, to your center, move what you can. And he actually came up on his toes and moved his center forward, freed up his neck, was able to move. So, the, the instruction in this case was expand. Yeah, that's where it hurts. That's where you feel stuck. But can you expand from that point of stuckness to feeling the entire body? Look at what's not stuck. And then you will free what is stuck. That's what we're saying. To develop spatial awareness moment by moment so we are aware of the nagging thoughts we are aware of maybe things that happened in the past the way they left a residual emotional effect on us we are aware we know that but at the same time there's a lot more going on all the time So, remove the blinders and then ask, am I still trapped? If the I is the thought and the thought is based on a notion of being trapped, then I'm trapped, of course. But if the I is this gigantic body that fills every crevice, every crevice of reality, then am I trapped? Then where is trap? Where is, what is liberation? Where am I not liberated? What have I become identified with is the question. Kyoto reminded me today in Dokusan, but Bhimala Kirti Sutra, 
and some of you have studied that, we have studied that a couple of years ago together, how flowers fell down on the Ahads, and they thought of themselves as the ones who are not supposed to be ingratiated by anything, right? They, they are beyond this world, this Saha world, the world of endurance, right? So they are beyond anything that we see and feel and touch, right? Living in a world of emptiness, then the flowers got stuck to them and they tried to brush them off. Because they were stuck with an idea of what liberation means. And those flowers became an issue, something to reject, to push away. Now we are stuck not just with what we love, we are stuck also with what we hate. We are attached to what we love, we are attached to what we don't love. By saying, you should go, I'm saying, I, am, I have a problem with your presence here because I'm attached to you being here. I'm attached to what that's causing in my mind. And because I cannot free myself in my mind, you gotta go. Is that freedom? Well, you may go, but I'm staying here with a fear that you may come back. How can I find liberation? If I don't turn inwardly, how can I find liberation? I'm always going to blame someone or something. So after Daojin studied with Seng Tsang for many years, he became his successor and the fourth patriarch in the Zen tradition. And it says that Daojin then went to establish a monastery at the foot of a mountain in Huangmei province. In the Chinese Zen's heritage, Andy Ferguson writes that this temple he founded appears to have been the first successful monastic community established in connection with Bodhidharma Zen lineage, which is, was fairly new at the time. Prior to the time of Dao Jin, it appears that Huike and Sengchan lived in monasteries established by others. And this was perhaps an inevitable result of Bodhidharma's avoidance of imperial patronage. So to keep Zen free, or the spirit of Zen free, of any influence. And it says that to help remain independent from the throne, Daojin's monastery may have directly undertaken agricultural activities. Here, economic necessity may have led to a change in monastic lifestyle. And this is important because that created, that led to the creation of Zen as we know it today, of course, after many changes between now and then, or between then and now. A lot have, has happened since then, but what's important here is that independent spirit relying on the power within. And Daojin is also known as the one who combines Zen practice with more traditional religious activities such as chanting and other recitations of sutras. And it is said that he was able to spread the Zen tradition to the broader Chinese population. So a lot to be thankful and a lot to appreciate in the way what Daojin has done to the tradition, to the new tradition at the time. Of course, it's Buddhism. It was always Buddhism, but a different line or different tradition of Buddhism. So we may not appreciate chanting, or we may not appreciate what chanting has to offer. And I know that first experience, because when I first got involved in traditional formal Zen practice, I had no interest in chanting. I thought it's something, it's extra, before we get to the meat and potatoes of Zazen. And also, all I was interested in is, was Zazen. 
And then after a while, after sticking with the practice, I start to realize that there is something, there are many things there that I may not be, see, be able to see. I may not be seeing. So I allowed myself to open up and experiment and experience. And it's incredible. What I found, what I am still finding in it, how much power it offers. You know, when we chant together, as you know, as you've heard many times, we all chip in to this, we chip in our voice to this collective voice, very unique, one at a time collective voice. But that takes a lot. We have to find a way to be together. Some of us are not great with our singing capacities or voice or being in tune. So we have to work with that and find a way to be in sync with each other and then examine what's going on in our minds. Do I want to chant louder so others can hear me? Because I don't want to be lost in the crowd. Or do I want to hide my voice so others cannot hear me because, well, you know, my voice is terrible. And other people are criticizing me. And those are great opportunities to study what we are attached to. What is binding us. Or what we are creating in the mind. So, is that not continuation of practice? Of course it is. And in that there is the cultivation of deep gratitude to what we have inherited and a recognition of the responsibility that we have to practice well and to pass it on to others. I don't feel like going today. Stop for a second. This is not just about you. Okay. Who else is it about? It's about the you that is always free. It's about the you that was never born and will never die. And then what happens to I don't feel like going today? Or I don't feel like bowing, I don't feel like chanting, or whatever. Then what happens to that which is not or does not feel free? So back to Tao Jin, staying true to the independent spirit of Zen, he refused to accept repeated invitations by the emperor. Interesting story. It says that in the year 643, the emperor Tao Zhong, hearing about Tao Jin's reputation, invited him to the capital city. And Tao Jin declined the invitation. So three times the emperor invited the master and three times he declined. On the fourth occasion, the emperor said to his emissary, this time if he doesn't come, bring back his head. It was common at the time. When the emissary delivered the emperor's edict to the, to the mountain, Tao Jin simply exposed and stretched out his neck to allow the head to be cut off. Fine, you want my head? Here it is. And stood there in a dignified manner. This shocked the emissary. So they did not cut the head off. When, when they went back, reported this, the emperor changed his intention and honored Dao Jin. He then presented him with a valuable silk and venerated him as an example and just left him alone. So just that action, that act of not wanting to tarnish the purity of practice. Sit with that for a while. Or ask yourself, how do I enter that state of being? What is our practice about? 
<clears throat> Throughout his life and his teachings, Dao Jin kept emphasizing the inherent liberation. He realized at the first meeting with his teacher, and it seems that he made this mission, his mission to embody and to teach others to look directly into one's own nature and develop a deep trust in that which is intrinsic. He cultivated strong spiritual tradition of discipline, self-reliance, and, and structured practice. Yet he warned against getting caught up by any aspect of the tradition, becoming rigid and losing touch with our inherent Buddha nature. So whatever we do, don't get trapped by that. Look within, allow it to be verified from within. In one of his talks, one of his talks, he captures that very well. He said, the 100,000 gates of the Buddha Dalma, they all return to this mind and body. This is the source of the countless exquisite sublime practices. All of the precepts and monastic rules, Zen meditation, Dharma gates of knowledge, and wisdom, and every sort of miraculous manifestation are your natural possession, not separate from your mind. Every type of nuisance and karmic impediment is fundamentally empty and without real existence. In other words, it cannot trap you. All causes and effects are but illusions. There is, there are no three worlds to be cast off. There is no body that can be attained. The original nature and appearances of what is human and what is non-human does not differ. Form and formness are not two. The great way is empty and vast without a single thought. If you have attained this Dharma where nothing whatsoever is lacking, what difference is there between yourself and a Buddha? When there is not a single teaching left, then you are just left to abide in your own nature with no need to worry about your behavior, no need to practice cleansing austerities, but just living a life without desires, with a mind without anger, without cares, completely at ease without impediment acting according to, or to your will, without needing to take on any good or evil affairs. Just walking, abiding, sitting, and lying down with whatever meets your eye, being nothing other than the essential source. And all of it is but the sublime function of Buddha, blissful and without care. This is called a Buddha. So what can we say other than be filled with deep gratitude and appreciation for past teachers who are constantly reminding us to not look at them, but to look at us, ourselves. If we look at them, then we're trapped. then we are not free and we're saying, well, they have realized, therefore I'm following them. They have realized, they have made an example, so we can realize. So in the commentary, Kazan said that he opened up the gate of liberation when he was about to die. And this is referring to this. In the year 651, Dao Jin suddenly gathered all his disciples and said to them, all things are liberated. You should keep mindful of this and teach it in the future. He then passed away while sitting peacefully in Zazen. So that's what he left behind. All things are liberated. Practice it, embody it, and teach it. 
to others. It's not what we hear. It's, we hear it externally, but internally it's not what we hear. We hear the opposite of that. Yeah, all things may be liberated. I'm not liberated. And I know why. Do I know why? Am I not liberated? Can that which is not liberated or does not feel liberated come along for the ride with that which is liberated? Are we vast enough, spacious enough to embrace that which is not liberated, that which still feels offended by others, or by the past. Can I find that in me? Well, the answer is yes, but that answer does not do anything. In fact, when we hear that answer, we should chuck it because we don't want it to come from anyone else. The yes is here, is inside each of us. So please, turn inward and find it. See for yourself. Or answer on your own. Answer the question, who is binding you? Thank you.